Yeah, they ain't gonna like it. They ain't gonna like me. I've been getting to the money. Everybody mad. I think I'm getting too much money. Everybody mad. Welcome, everyone, to another Rebuilding Podcast. I'm Missy. This is Crimson. And we are very excited today to have a very special guest. We have a representative, Attica Scott. Attica, say hello. Hey, y'all. We are uh, so excited to have her here. We can talk about her current time in the uh, in, in the house uh, and also the the big run that uh, that you're currently doing. Woo-woo! Sounds like a plan. Yeah, this yeah. is awesome. We're very excited. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank yeah. you for joining us. You know, I think people rarely get to hear representatives talk like they're mm-hmm. you know especially here in northern kentucky so you being in louisville you have a little bit different of a media scenario but we have no local media there's no one to interview our representatives there's no one to talk about and we only have two democratic mm-hmm. representatives up here so there's not many options anyway so it means even more to us that you're willing to spend time because people in northern kentucky yearn for this stuff but there's no one to fill that void Well, you know, and and for me, the reality is you all are doing exactly what our future is when it comes to um, what we consider media, because more and more people are drifting away from mainstream media for lots of different reasons and are looking towards podcasts and um, alternative media and media that's um, going to give a different perspective and, um, you know, educate and inform people in a way that's a lot more engaging right yeah i mean that's our hope right missy yeah well like so many people i think especially up in up in northern kentucky you know they don't follow state politics they don't really give a shit about it and it affects your life so much more than anything else uh but they're, they also want to be involved in their community and they're great at organizing so we really kind of want to show them there's like really cool people involved in in politics and you can help them and this is how you can get involved that's right yeah. Well, so I'm just curious, just tell us how you got, how you got the public service bug. Like, how did you end up here, Rep Scott? Mm. Well, you know, I would say I didn't have much choice. I was born into it. My parents named me after the prison in upstate New York. I was born a couple of months after the uprisings there, um, of, you know, prisoners fighting for their rights. And then the governor calling in the National Guard and, you know, a number of the prisoners were murdered. Um, and so, you know, my parents, I was born and raised here in Louisville. My parents were uh, young people. My mom was a teenage mom and they were, you know, hungry for their movement. And that was their movement of the day. And so from there, they uh, moved to Los Angeles, California for a little while to join the Black Panther Party, but they never did because they got there. My mom was like, she didn't like the way that women were being treated in the party. She felt like she could have stayed in the South and been you know, an oppressed woman there instead of going to the West Coast and being oppressed. So they didn't uh, actually end up joining. And then I, I went off to college to East Tennessee to uh, Appalachia and went to Knoxville College and it's a historically black college. And I really got politicized there on the black college campus campus. Like there's no experience like it. So for me, that public service came from growing up in the projects of Beach of Terrace, of you know, be, being committed to making sure that folks who grew up like I did had a different kind of reality so that kids who were coming after us wouldn't have the same kind of struggles that we had. So 
again, I, I was born into public service. It, it wasn't something that I really had a choice in the matter on. That's awesome. Well, and that's what you always hear from the people that do public service in any way. Like, I wish I could put my head in the sand and just be a mom and hang out and, you know, drink cocktails on a patio with no worries. But like, I don't, my brain doesn't run that way. Mm-hmm. Like, there's too much going on. There's too much work to do. Like, that's, that's right. That's not a privilege that I have at this point in my life. But mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a way our brains programmed. I don't know if it's a curse or a blessing. <laughs> it's a blessing. It's a blessing for sure. Right. Cause, <laughs> cause you know, we do it in part just a little bit for us, but we really do it for our communities. Right. It's really about the bigger picture and what we're trying to build as a collective. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I don't imagine how I could turn my head away and act like I don't see what's happening when I live in community. I navigate through community, right? I, I got to get gas and groceries. So how can I do all of that and ignore what people stop me at the gas station to talk about it, or ignore what people are stopping me in the grocery store to talk about? Right. You know, you serve locally and then you moved up to the state house. Um, what are some, you know, like obstacles or just things that were unexpected that you had to deal with when you when you were elected? Well, at the local level, when I served on Metro Council, when I was elected, there were people who were asking questions like, is she going to cut her hair? Are you going to cut your hair? So my natural hair, my locks became an issue as if my natural hair would be a barrier to me being an effective local public servant. And with my hair uh, in all of its shining, crowning glory, we passed a minimum wage ordinance to become the first city in the South to raise the wage. We passed a unanimous bill to ban the box on job applications. We passed a unanimous resolution to Frankfurt to restore voting rights. So my natural hair didn't have anything to do with my effectiveness as an elected official, right? But people just go with these stereotypes and prejudices and biases, and and sometimes they can't see past it because they're not allowed to. That whether it's mainstream news media or whether it's entertainment, There are so many stereotypes that are presented to us about one another that we believe them and we make them the truth. And so, you know, for me, that was a barrier having to to prove myself, not only because I was a woman, not only because I was a black woman, but also because of the way I chose to wear my hair. Right. So so we know that women get scrutinized for everything. And that's an automatic barrier for us. Automatically, we are we're told um, that we shouldn't run because of our children. So I remember going to Ferguson, Missouri after Michael Brown was murdered and a local police officer wrote a letter to the editor saying she abandoned her children to go fight for someone else's child. So, right, the implication there is my children don't have a father, um, but also this notion of abandonment um, because a mother's son, a teenager was murdered in the street by police. So my abandonment of my children um, because I went to Ferguson was what he, he believed the narrative should be. So those kinds of barriers. And then even serving in the state house, Missy, um, having to, to deal with being kicked off of the education committee for, for no good reason. I, I was an incumbent, so I had the right of first choice of committee. The education committee was my first choice and I was kicked off of it. So I had to get my leadership to get me back on that committee. Um, and can I stop and ask, what was their justification for that? Like, oh, there how does that none. go down? They just walk in and say, no. Oh, you just don't get assigned. And so when the session began and I looked at my committee assignments and education wasn't there, 
I'm like, oh, wait, what's happening here? And yeah. so I went to my leadership and said, I turned in my form on time, early, not only on time, but early, clearly designated my top choice. And then I was kicked off of that committee. Um, so yeah, those kinds of things. My first year in Frankfurt, I had someone send me an email saying, why are you always so angry when you speak? I'm like, here we go with the angry black woman trope. I knew it was coming. I thought I'd get, you know, a whole year in before it came, but didn't quite happen. So, you know, it's, it's, those are the barriers that I know I have to face. And, and I hope that being the first black woman elected, first woman of color elected in almost 20 years in Frankfurt, that I took on all of that so that, you know, Rep Kukarni wouldn't have to take it on as the first ever Indian immigrant elected or Rep Stevenson as the second black woman elected. Hopefully yeah. me taking on all of that meant that people got it out of their system and then they don't have to mess. I just, I want to say thank you so much too for your work uh, surrounding the Crown Act. Uh, we have that in Covington now. It's yes. amazing. Um, I hope to see it pop up in cities everywhere in Kentucky. That's right. I'm supposed to be meeting with your mayor and Commissioner Williams soon uh, to talk about taking that movement across the Commonwealth. That's and, awesome. And what movement is that? So the Crown Act is um, a piece of legislation that uh, uh, bans discrimination based on natural hair, afros, locks like mine, braids, twists, etc. And so we have filed that bill for the past two years in Frankfurt and have had no traction on that legislation. So Commissioner Williams uh, helped to lead the effort in Covington to get the Crown Act passed there. And then just a few weeks ago, um, Count Councilman Ja'Cory Arthur here in Louisville led the, the local policy movement to get it passed here in Louisville. Nice. So we're beginning. So what, what happens, Missy and Crimson, is even when we're not able to get our legislation passed in Frankfurt, if we built up enough of a policy movement, other people across Kentucky will take on that work so that it can happen in their community. Same thing with the bill to ban no-knock warrants. Frankfurt totally failed us, right? They didn't do a full ban. So Lexington said, well, we're gonna do our own full ban nice. and it passed. So sometimes leadership is about sparking movements so that people get a, uh, an idea of what is possible. And if it doesn't happen with that particular body, they take it back home to their respective communities and make it happen there. Yeah, I love that. We saw that a lot with the, uh, the fairness movement. Yes. Yeah, no, and I remember when the Fair Fairness Act passed in Fort Thomas, that's the city I live in, our mayor said something, and I don't like bringing politics to, you know, our city building or whatever. Um, and he was like, if this was a major need, then they would pass it at the state level. And my response was, <laughs> the problem is, is that being fair and equal and telling people that they're respected and welcomed in our community isn't politics. It's just the right thing to do. Like, and yeah, the state should do it, but if you do it and then a hundred other cities do it, maybe the state will do it. So you're setting right. an example that it's not political and that it can be bipartisan because mm -hmm. everybody wants it anyways. And we did get it passed. Thank, I mean, thanks to work from Chris Hartman and uh, other folks it did pass, but I think you're right. Like it trickles, there is a, an, a trickle down effect. We can't stop if we can't win at the state house. That's right. We gotta keep going. Now, like, uh, well, so speaking of the state house, um, you know, unfortunately, we have a minority in there with only 25 seats. Uh, you know, we lost 13 seats in the last election. Um, you know, why do you think the state house has become so dominated by Republicans? And what are things that 
Democrats or activists on the ground can do to help win some of those seats back? Democrats have to do more uh, organizing people to run. Um, it's great that we have training programs like Emerge Kentucky uh, to train Democratic women to run for office, but we also have to not only train people, but do the organizing to get people ready to run for office. So I, I believe that we are failing miserably on that since I was elected in 2016. It was, you know, one of those rare occasions where um, in 2016, we, we lost the house for the first time in over 85 years. And uh, here, here I am, uh, a very, you know, liberal progressive person running against a 34 year incumbent and I won that election. So while, you know, there were lots of losses, we had a few wins, but ever since then, 2016, 2018, uh, you know, 2020, we're losing, we're losing more and more seats. And part of that has is because the Democratic Party is not um, a party that is, is something that people are looking at for political guidance and direction. The party has totally uh, decided that it's going to turn its back on uh, younger people. It's going to turn its back on Black folks and Latinx folks and, and other people of color, that it's going to turn its back on people who don't toe the party line. I know because I've experienced that. And so what happens is you have people who say, well, I don't want to be a part of that. Not only do I not want to be a part of that political structure, which means I don't want to run for office under that, that umbrella, that banner, it also means that I'm not interested in voting for the candidates you keep trying to push on us and force on us. And at some point we have to wake up as a party and see that if we continuously are losing, something's wrong with us. We can't keep blaming people voted, you know, straight party for Trump. We can't keep blaming um, that, you know, the, the other, other party is playing, you know, dirty politics. We can't keep blaming everybody else and not looking at ourselves for what we are not doing what we are failing to do. Well, and that is such a statement that is so strong, especially coming from a black woman in the sense that just as a woman in general, it's like, I always knew I couldn't get a hundred percent. I had to get 115%. Like you, you have to do so much more. And I think that's such a good point with the democratic party is that we can't talk about it's okay. It's not okay. It's it's not fine. We need dramatic change. We need drastic change. And we need to look at within ourselves for that. Like <laughs> as much as I tell like Christians who are upset that their church has been taken over by the, you know, the radical right, a non-Christian can't save a Christian, right? A, a Republic, a Democrat can't save Republicans from the radicalization of the, their party. <laughs> Democrats have to save Democrats so like That's we right. have to look within ourselves and dissect what we're doing wrong because you're right I I have a rule in life like if I wake up in the morning and I think someone's an asshole they're probably an asshole but if I wake up in the morning and everybody I encounter that day is an asshole I'm the asshole mm -hmm. and at some point you just have to come to terms with the fact that like we keep losing so we have mm -hmm. to do that introspective mm -hmm look at like what are we doing wrong That's and right. if even if it is trump in the down ballot even if it is all those things that we can mm -hmm. blame what can we do to overachieve and overcome those obstacles it's not enough to blame people because that doesn't get people elected that's right yeah. that's right well and we can't undermine the people who are out there you know stepping out 
um, taking risks, taking chances to run for office, because our party is guilty of that as well, undermining really good people who are trying to run for office um, and not getting that support. So there's so much um, reconciliation and reckoning that has to happen within our own party, and there has to be a willingness to do so. So I'm excited about some of the younger people who have gotten into positions within the party, who I think are really moving in a different direction and bringing different kind of energy that could help to truly rebuild the party. Well, and I think it's so easy to like divide us and say progressive, moderate establishment, not establishment. I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is it's people that I'm ready to throw noodles at walls. Like, let's do this shit. Like, let's go full force and see what we can get done and start eliminating the variables that are holding us back. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the energy that we need to see throughout the entire state of, you know, a lot, like to your point earlier, a lot of this is self-fulfilling prophecy. Charles Booker announces he's running. Well, can a black man win in Kentucky? Well, if you say it enough times, the answer is no. Like mm-hmm. we can, we can make that come true if we want to say it enough. Right. So right. it's like, we got to change the narrative, change the dialogue, change the expectations, reset. I mean, if Donald Trump can be president of the United States, how could we even dare think a black guy that's as qualified as Charles can't be in Senate? It's just absurd to me, but I feel like it's like Democrats write the narrative that Republicans give them and put it in their head and they believe it. And we need to start writing our own narrative. That's right. And the narratives that we put out there, right? That I've had people say that I don't have enough experience to run for Congress. As if I didn't serve in local government as a Metro Council member and then serve in the state house as Mm -hmm. a state representative, but I don't have enough experience to run for Congress. But Thomas Massey did because he's rich. Let's be real. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Yeah, how many people's first run at the federal level, uh, you know, they've never done anything before. Yeah, well, because they were wealthy and they were maybe a business person. Yeah, that's enough experience and white and men. Yeah. So that's apparently enough experience. Oh, it's it's just ridiculous. Oh, all right. Well, anyhow, uh, so <laughs> it sounds like it's been fun in the state house. <laughs> it's been interesting. That's the word that I often use. It's it's been interesting. Um, you know I, what I will say though is I have felt this shift in uh, the five years that I've been in Frankfurt. I have felt this shift of people at, at the local level all across Kentucky who are beginning to see themselves and their issues reflected in legislation. And so they're getting involved in different ways that they weren't involved before. So for example, with the Crown Act, all of the uh, Black sororities Every single one of them got behind the Crown Act and were contacting their elected officials, getting their college chapters uh, invigorated to take action on the Crown Act. I haven't seen that before. And I was a grassroots lobbyist for a decade in Frankfurt. Um, The Black Maternal Care Act, you know, oftentimes my friend Jackie McGranahan with the ACLU of Kentucky says when she's speaking publicly about it, no one was talking about Black maternal health in Frankfurt until Rep Scott started talking about it and filing legislation. Mm -hmm. So we we have the opportunity to get people interested and engaged when we truly reflect their needs and concerns. If we only play it safe, if we're only superficial, if we only work on those bills we think will actually pass or have a chance at passing, but don't work on those things that 
truly impact people who have not felt rep represented anyway, who have always felt left behind and left out, then we aren't gonna get people engaged and interested in mm -hmm. politics and policy. And that's such a good point. And Missy, this is something we talk about all the time is- Amy McGrath. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you, you had to, you had to. You can't get through one episode without saying that name. Uh, but, you know, I, I come from activism roots and I never wanted to join the party. Um, and I, I realized I had to, because it's, it's the establishment is the only establishment that we have. So why rebuild the ship? Why not just help fix it? Right. And so I, Missy and I always have this conversation of it is, how do we bring these activists into the party especially when there's like this friction that doesn't need to be there and we need to break down that friction. But I think on the ground level, what you just said is exactly what I think is the path forward, which is it's on the issues. We unite on the values and the issues and not the label of the party that we stand under. Right. It, it's to your point, like you can find a little issue that may get some suburban housewife that's never been into politics on her feet, on the ground fighting, right? We saw that with teachers. We saw that with many different groups mm -hmm. on different issues. And so by putting those bills on the floor, people like to say, well, but they aren't gonna pass. But that's not the point. It's, it's mobilizing people. It's showing people that we see them, that we hear them, that we know there's a need and we're fighting for it, even if we know we can't win it because that shows the courage and boldness that we need in leadership. That's right. I mean, look at the no-knock warrants bill. We had 5,000 Kentuckians who made phone calls, who sent emails to the, their legislators. And then we had people from Louisville who organized a rally in Frankfurt for the, the no-knock warrants bill. People who had never been to the state capitol in their lives. And I'm talking people who are older than me, who've never been to Frankfurt before, but they finally saw in a piece of legislation, their real life issue, their real life or death issue was on the line that somebody was fighting for them to be fully protected um, from violent policing in that way with no knock warrants. That's what will get people energized and excited. That's what will get people saying, yes, I wanna get behind that candidate. Yes, I wanna run for office myself because I can do that too. Right, Yeah. exactly. Now, as we look to your, to your current run uh, for Congress, what are some issues that, you, uh, that you're looking forward to pushing harder on? I'm definitely looking forward to pushing harder on environmental justice and climate action because we can't wait. We need a Green New Deal. Saying that it's not feasible is unacceptable. Um, our entire country is feeling the impacts of what we're doing to destroy our environment. Um, where yeah. I live in the West End of Louisville, we know what it's like. Um, to, to face environmental injustices and environmental racism. We cannot wait to act on police accountability and protecting protesters, right? We need to have a member of Congress who's gonna go to DC and say, I'm, my issue, what I'm going to champion is to make sure that we end qualified immunity because no law enforcement officer should get it, literally get away with murder. That, mm -hmm. that is unacceptable, that we should yeah. not have more than 900 people in Louisville who've been arrested seeking justice for Black lives. That is unacceptable. And so we need champions in D.C. who are going to fight for and with us. It is unacceptable that I was the only legislator in 2018 who stood with our local immigrant community when they demanded that we abolish ICE. 
No one else stood with our local community. No one else stood with our Palestinian community during their marches and rallies in the past month for freedom in Palestine, except for me. That is unacceptable. We have got to make sure that we have elected officials serving us in DC who are truly gonna be our champions, who truly come from the same places that we come from, who are gonna act on the issues that people have been crying out for. So that's, those are some of the issues that I'm gonna make sure that I'm a champion of when I'm serving in DC. Well, and so I have to ask this, I'm just so curious. You are so connected to Louisville, you are, you know, you are grassroots at your heart. You, you served on Metro council. I mean, you served in the state house, like you are a Louisville Kentuckian. So I like what push, like, is there some weird sense of like leaving the, the more local office to going federal? Like, like what made that light switch go for you? I've had people asking me for years to run for higher office. People wanted me to run for governor. I couldn't afford it. I I work full time. Mm -hmm. And so I just don't have that privilege um, to afford that. And I had people asking me to run for Congress for the past few years. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And I finally answered that call to serve. And I said, you know what? Yes, I will run because I think this past year, people were just done. They were done not feeling like they had someone who not only showed up, but actually heard what they were crying out for and said, I'm going to go fight for that in D.C. How could you spend a whole year seeing the uprisings in Louisville and then not go to D.C. and be a champion of those issues? And so people were just tired. I know I was tired. I was done. I was frustrated. And that that was part of the switch for me that said, this is the time, right? We can't keep waiting. We can't keep being told this is not our time. Stay in your place. We have good enough. We have okay okay and good enough is not enough. No, I mean, it's also the coronation effect, right? I mean, we went through that with 2016 with Hillary Clinton. I mean, I might be in the minority here. I love Hillary Clinton, um, but there were a lot of other people that should have ran in that primary. Um, But a lot of them didn't because of that right there. Like you had to wait your turn in line. Like it's her turn. And we, we can't play politics that way. We cannot. And yeah. it's been really interesting watching. We have tremendous support and the people that are not supportive of us, when they talk about causing division and why, why are you doing this to the party? And I'm like, first of all, what is a primary? Why do we have primaries? Because I'm confused. Um, because I thought a primary election was our opportunity to make a choice about who we wanted to uh, you know, move on to the, the general election and represent us. So it's not that I'm causing division at all, but people's response has been very divisive for some people who have literally said, I should stay in my place. You, be- People have said to me, you belong in Frankfurt. So people have decided, and, it's, and the interesting thing is, those have only been white people, oh. only been white people. Otherwise, we've received a lot of tremendous support for this campaign because folks are ready for new and different leadership. That's awesome. I am a huge fan of strong primaries. Oh, me too. I love it. It, Yeah, it only improves the brand. You know, it makes better candidates. We get better elected officials. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I love no, it. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, primaries are great because it, it, it's more perspectives. It's more ideas on the table. It's more mm-hmm. representation. That's what we're about. I mean, 
the campaign is what shows people our value system. And right. I don't know, I'm a, I'm also a big fan of primary. So I don't, I, I think it's unfortunate when people see them as divisive. Um, it, it's it never just, happened in Kentucky before. <laughs> never. No, never. we won't name any names since they've already been named. Right. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, um, those, those, sometimes those very same people um, are the ones who want a primary if it's to, to prevent someone like me or another black person or person of color from serving. So then they want a primary and they create a primary, uh, right? We've seen that, so. No, I mean, it, it is, it's something, I think people just get uncomfortable with, with it. And I think I don't, I haven't felt comfortable in my entire life. So I think people just need to suck it up and get used to being uncomfortable. Cause if we're going to really do this, we're going to be uncomfortable. Like there's no comfortable way forward. There, there just yeah. isn't, you know, going back to you talking about your parents moving to LA for the black Panthers. I lived in LA as a kid and my parents are born in, well, not born, but raised in LA. Um, and they, they were on the ground floor with the Black Panthers. They called them in for certain events. And I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a cultural, I don't know. It's something lacking in Kentucky. Like there's, it, it, we're so divided compared to other places. And I know that's our politics, but it's how do we come back together with an understanding that it's okay that we don't, all have 100% agreement on issues and having more people out there speaking to the issues diversifies the issues to enable more people to get involved, to enable more people to care whether or not the candidate wins or not. It still gets them off the sidelines and gets their attention. Well, we're, we're so close, Crimson and Misty, to, to a certain level of political maturity in Kentucky, but we're not there yet. We don't have political maturity, but I will say one example of that maturity is the person that was in the seat that I'm in now, who I defeated in a primary, was a 34 year incumbent. His wife served for four years before him. So the family was in there for 38 years. And, and I defeated him in a, in a three-way race. I got you know more than 50% of the vote. He has been tremendous these past few years in just sending me messages at least once a year or so saying, I'm really proud of you in the way that you serve. And he sent me a message um, this year as well. We didn't agree on, on a whole lot, right? There's a whole lot we didn't agree on. There were some things we did, some things we didn't, but he is, is someone who didn't uh, turn bitter and try to get his supporters to be, oh, you know, be anti her since she ran against me. Instead, there was a certain uh, political maturity that he's since tried to lead with to say, you know what? This is the person who's won. So let's support the person who's won. Um, and, you know, my hope is that with this race for Congress, that we will have a, a, a certain level of political maturity, where instead of people, you know, getting uh, some people uh, who have been comfortable, uh, because that's really what it's about, that that comfort that they've had, that, you know, has allowed them to not see that the rest of us are still struggling and, and barely keeping our heads above water, that they will have enough political maturity to say, you know what? this is a primary race and we're going to run a good, strong primary race and we're going to support the person who wins in the primary. Yep. Yeah. That's how it works. It's how it's worked. Like, yeah. I don't know, since the founding of our country, but you know, right. 
but we used to have duels too so i can't say we were always that good at being united well well, well there's a lot a lot in our history that some people don't want us to teach now that right. show that we have not been the best in our history um at all right Right. Um, no, I mean, I'm where I'm leaving on Sunday to take my kid to Yorktown and Williamsburg and mm-hmm. yep. And uh, yeah, it, it, he's like hooked on Hamilton. And so I, I, I'm a nerd. I go to Colonial Williamsburg as often as possible, but um, it's rubbed off on him. So we're yeah. going to take him to Yorktown so he can see where it happened. Okay. <laughs> I right. told him, I told New York, the room where it happened, We'll see that when, you know, we are in pandemic world. Yeah. I have to admit, I was disappointed that you were arrested for some bogus charges and not for dueling. I thought that was going to be the first thing. <laughs> you know what? I mean, listen, when I tell you, and, and Missy, I, I see your, your beautiful dog and hear your dog barking. I'm surprised that my dog has not responded <laughs> to the bark. I'm really surprised. But, um, you know, I, I, when I think about that arrest, and the point you made earlier, Crimson, about, you know, you wish you could just not be involved in politics and just, you know, parent to whatever it is that people, you know, do with their lives. I never imagined that my daughter and I would be arrested together fighting for yeah. justice, right? Fighting for justice. And then, and then be accused of trying to firebomb the library. I'm probably one of the biggest nerds you're going to meet uh, who's a public servant. And uh, typically I do these with my bookshelf behind me. Um, but I knew that this was, uh, you know, an audio versus video, so I don't have my bookshelf behind me. But who would imagine that I would try to firebomb the library or be with people who are trying to do that? So, Missy, to your point, bogus charges, right? Not, not even, I, I swore that I would never, you know, engage in a duel, uh, but they could have thrown that in there as well. But I tell you, maybe they did, because one of our <laughs> charges said, and other charges as appropriate. That's what it said. Like, you know how on a job description it says uh, and other duties yeah. as required? Yeah. It was like, and other charges as appropriate. So maybe dueling was one of them that they were going to accuse us of. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think that might help your primary campaign if so. So if you find that, uh, yeah. <laughs> that would probably make you the biggest badass in Kentucky to pull out the old dueling trick. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh well um so what what do you so looking into 2022 i'm a chair of a county right so i'm on mission candidates recruitment run for office what would you say to inspire people to run because mm. uh, i'm not doing very well at this rep scott i'm, right. I'm failing right now yeah <laughs> um it's getting harder. I'm going to be honest with you. It's getting much more difficult. Uh, when on the day that we announced our run for Congress, someone sent me an email to my legislative email address. So they know it can be tracked, right? right. Uh, their IP address, sent it to my legislative email, the most horrid, racist, horrible, sick commentary it's saying George Floyd is no longer you know, addicted to drugs because now he's dead and things like that, right? And, and my mother must've been a whore um, and, and things, and it was just, it was awful. When I tell you it was awful, it was awful. And so if that's happening to me because I dared to announce a run for Congress, gosh, you know, I think about, do I wanna recruit people to run for office, especially women, and especially women of color and young people 
if they're going to face that kind of hate just for daring to do so, it's, it's getting more difficult. So one of the things that I will say is people need to know if they run for office, that folks are going to have their back, mm-hmm. that folks are going to support them. That's huge. We can't expect someone to run for office if they feel like they're going to be doing it alone. Right. And so we got to make sure people are clear. I'm going to support you. I'm asking you to run because I'm going to support you. I'm asking you to run because I've already got a whole host of people who are going to be with us, knocking on doors, making phone calls. We're going to donate. Um, And so that's important. I think it's also important to be really honest with people about what kind of uh, support they may or may not get from the party. I think that having people go in naive and thinking, you know, if I'm really about uh, you know, some maybe radical or revolutionary ideas, uh, am I going to get party support? The answer is probably no, because our party's kind of conservative. So I yeah. uh, say to people, it's not, please don't run depending on party support, run depending on the people support. And right. that's how I've always looked at my campaigns. I don't run looking for the party support. I run looking for the people support and the people are always there. So I think that's important as well. And I think it's important to connect people to political mentors. So say somebody wants to run for, you know, uh, city council, connect them to someone who's already serving on city council or who previously served so they can have honest conversations. I always say to people, if you're thinking about running for a state house, check in with me, let's talk. I want to have an honest conversation with you so that people go in with their eyes open rather than thinking it's going to be something that it's not. Yeah, or making false assumptions about what it is, right? That's, That's what, right. I mean, I think that, well, I feel better about my approach because I I think I'm hitting those marks, but I'm still, it's still not working, but I just haven't found the right people yet. <laughs> well, and, and, and are you asking people, Crimson, what are, why they're, they are not interested? And, and if they're not interested, what are they saying are the reasons they're not interested? You know, honestly, a lot of it's the part-time legislator model their jobs i mean being the party of the working class makes it really hard right because you kind of have to have a job that's flexible enough to allow you to do that um and then some of it is true just lack of courage which means they shouldn't run right they it's it's just a lack of i don't want to put myself out there like i'm happy to go do lip drops i'm happy to be part of the party i'm happy but i I can't put myself out there in that way. It's the exposure. It's the, it's, it's, and I think that goes back to how we started this conversation. It, I think it's kind of something in your blood, like to have the courage to do it, regardless of circumstance, it, it requires a, a level of courage. So it's a lack of co- courage and a lack of opportunity is what I'm running into. Cause I have a lot of great people, but they're like, I'm a teacher. <laughs> like, how do you, how do you get off work for that? Like, I don't think there's a provision in my contract that says I can get off or go on and legislating, you know? And so I think a lot of it is systematic, right? Of like, how do we get people that look like us, that live like us, that are like us to run when you can't be like us and run, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. You, you, You have to run your own business. You have to have the flexibility that isn't built into especially for women Mm -hmm. um, into their day-to-day life it's just it's too much and I think in northern Kentucky we even have a 
bigger issue in that the distance, right? Like mm-hmm. you get to Frankfurt, it's not a fun drive. There's no mm-hmm. easy way to Frankfurt from here. Um, and so that's what we're running into, I think, is more just the logistical, honest truth of I don't have the money to quit my job to do this. And then the other part is I'm to your point, what you, you face, I'm scared. I'm scared Mm -hmm. to do it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to put myself out there and be that vulnerable to the world. That's right. No, that's fair. And if you have folks who are thinking about running and who feel like um, the fact that they work or the distance is a barrier, I am happy to talk to folks because I've always worked a full-time job and a part-time job and been a legislator. Um, both at the local and state level. So I actually enjoy talking to people about how I manage that. And That's so, great to know. yeah. yeah and, and when I started on Metro Council, both of my kids were still in school. They, my daughter was, you know, elementary school, son, middle school. And then when I started in the state house, my daughter um, was in middle school. So, or she was in high school. So I enjoy having those conversations with people, especially women, because men aren't often ask the same questions as we are about, well, you know, who's going to take care of the kids? Who's going to take care of the family, right? And they don't often have the same kinds of elder care and child care responsibilities that we have that we're also trying to manage. So I just want to say publicly on the podcast, I am more than happy to talk to folks who are, you know, struggling with the logistics and the, the working challenges to running for office. Awesome. Well, you may regret that because I have your number, Rep Scott. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh-oh. Well, you know what? That's a good problem to have. If I have that many people to send your way, one of them's going to stick, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what is a what is a way that people can can get a hold of you or follow you or? So, if folks want to follow me on social media, you can follow me at Attica for KY. So A T T I C A F O R K Y. That's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, if you want to reach me about a legislative issue, I encourage you, please bookmark on your, your, all your devices, um, the legislature.ky.gov website. We have a pretty good website, y'all. I love state capitals and, and checking out state websites. We have a pretty good one. And you can find all of your legislators' contact information there, including mine. Nice. And then if you want to follow my campaign for Congress, um, I've got links to that on all of my social media platforms. It's uh, Attica for Congress. All right, badass. All right, we uh, we just have a, a couple silly questions for you okay. before we end here. All right, uh, first of all, uh, a lot of us stayed home a lot during COVID. Uh, what was your like a certain show or movie that you just love to binge? Well, so I will say Star Trek Discovery was one of the shows <laughs> that I watched every single week. And in fact, I'm encouraging folks, go check out um, uh, a blog that a friend of mine and I wrote on Star Trek Discovery, 10 Lessons on Reimagining the Future. So if you're a Trekkie or you're interested in sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and you want to know how we can reimagine a better future, check out my social media platforms for a link to that blog post. Um, so so yeah. hold on, this Star Trek Discovery, is this like a new? Like- <gasps> Crimson. I- you know what? Look, my mom you know, yeah. is a Trekkie and it <laughs> scarred me. It scarred me, Rep Scott. I'm scarred. You know I've watched every episode so many times that like, I, I, so tell me more. We don't even have enough time, but you know what? That's okay. <laughs> what, okay what, where can I stream that? Okay. So you can stream it on um, uh, 
It's not a Hulu. It's Par- Paramount. CBS is okay. now okay. Paramount. So okay. it's a CBS show and it's pretty amazing. It This last season, this is the third season, was the best one yet. So usually shows as they go on season after season after season, they get a little bit worse. This was the best season. So is, please okay. check it out. It, and for word- listeners, if you can only see how excited oh. Rep Scott is right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. True story. Okay. What was the other question? All right. I can talk about Star Trek forever. Let me stop. <laughs> I'm reading that that blog as soon as I get off of yeah, here. <laughs> me too. And I'm going to watch a show in honor of you and my mom. All right, so I have one for you. Just okay. what's your favorite local business? Who do you want to call out locally? Ooh. Oh, that's listen, a hard I, one, huh? I've got lots. And I will say this, any place that serves food is probably my favorite <laughs> local business. Yes. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite kind of food? Oh, man, Missy, I love food. I'm telling <laughs> you, I love food. I love Ethiopian is one of my favorite favorites. So there's a restaurant here called Queen of Sheba that I have been going to forever. And they nice. have the most delicious honey wine when they're able to get it imported um, from nice. Ethiopia. Ooh, that's awesome. That sounds good. I'm gonna have to make a trip there. Yes. Okay, when you do, let me know. We'll go to dinner. Yes, I need to make a trip. There's so many of you that I miss. It's been so long. Yeah, and and you won't Ethiopian be in food. Frankfurt. I know, I want some Ethiopian food now too. <laughs> Yeah, we have dinner cravings now. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, but we're going to miss you in Frankfurt. You know what? But you're going to be glad to see me in D.C. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So that's it's a plus. It's just farther, but I'll see you more, I'm sure, on TV. Yeah, yeah, Making you will. Making some good trouble. That's right. Oh, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. No, Thank that's you so much for being on here. Um, yeah, we appreciate it so much. I'm yeah. happy to be on here. And you know what it feels like is... Um, you know, we, we across Kentucky are connected and deeply connected to one another. So as a member of Congress, I'm also gonna be your member of Congress, right? You'll have someone you can call on when you have issues or questions and, or concerns, right? So I may be elected from Louisville, but there are people all across Kentucky who feel like, oh my goodness, we're gonna have, now we're gonna have someone who is our member of Congress that we know that we, we've fought with and alongside with. So yes. that's- that's important. So thank you for this, this opportunity. Oh, well, absolutely. Thank you for joining us. And we are giving you best wishes for the primary. Congratulations on that decision. That is not an easy one. And we are sending you the best vibes and we will be sure to link up all of your social media links and the article yes. about envisioning a new yes. tomorrow. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to read it. But thank you so much for visiting us. Of course. Thank y'all so much. Anytime. Thank you. And thanks (laughs) everyone for listening. Have a good one. Thanks everyone.